Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I am UB, as always, here with my co-hosts, Michael and Nina. Hello, team. How are you? Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, guys. How are you? Good. Yeah, thank you for being here. As always, we're back with a new episode, our new segment, actually, of our Black Voices Matter segment with um, just uh, an incredible woman who we've we've had the chance to talk to a few times now, and um, really excited to have this particular conversation with her. So she's the CEO and founder of the Wakeman Agency, and Vanessa Wakeman, welcome to the show. Hello, 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 and thank you for having me. Super excited to be here with you all today. Yeah, we are too. And um, we, well, we're, one quick thing I know the last time we talked was before the election and that we're not going to really dive into that, but how, how are you feeling? You know, well, first of all, yeah. How are you doing? I, I almost forgot. Like we always start with, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I will say I am feeling 100% better than I felt before the election. I feel like 2020 was so difficult um, and exhausting in so many ways. And I feel like the time, the weeks leading up to the election, there was so much like tension and stress in my body and everyone I spoke to was having a similar experience. And so just having an opportunity to exhale, you know, understanding that the work is not done and we have plenty more to be stressed about and be worried about. I just feel like we've achieve we've gotten through you know some of the really terrible times and so now there's an opportunity to sort of build something different and sort of imagine what's possible for you know our country and for our people and so i'm excited um you know for us to sort of take care of ourselves and then you know get right back in the ring to do the fighting that needs to be done couldn't agree more yeah i think we're there's there's a hope in the air, which is really nice, especially before the holidays. Other you know, other than with the pandemic, but um, I think there there maybe is a little bit of a light at the end of that tunnel too. But um, but yeah, what I think you know what, what we wanted to talk about a, a couple of specific things um, that you're that you're doing. And, and it, first of all, can you tell us about the Narrative Justice Project and and the importance behind that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, that's one of my, my mini babies. And so the Narrative Justice Project is a free media training program for black and brown people. And the reason we came up with this project is um, I was observing the way uh, people of color and communities of color were sort of represented in the media, the way the stories were told, um, the sort of stereotypes or sort of misrepresentation, underrepresentation of um, you know, the communities that I, I care about. And so I wanted to think about how can we lend our expertise in a meaningful way? And I had been thinking about this for a really long time and about three years ago, um, there was a story that broke on uh, Twitter that talked about these 12 missing uh, Black and Latinx girls that were missing in DC who were believed to be trafficked, but they were not getting any media attention in the traditional news cycle. And I just remember like feeling in my stomach, like how could that be? Like how could people's children be missing and like, you know, 12 at one time and we're not doing anything about it. And so I started to put, you know, small action and steps into place around like, you know, what would this look like? What can we control? 
contribute? How can we help? And so this is not a perfect representation of what we want to do, but what the media, excuse me, what the Narrative Justice Project off, offers is it's an opportunity for communities to proactively understand how to leverage the media during a time of crisis. So um, we know that when police show up to black and brown communities, um, if a, a child is missing, the first assumption or one of the first questions is, is did they run away versus, you know, let's hustle and try to find, you know, the child. And so really helping people to be mindful of how to present information and communicate so that they can get the support that they need. And so whether that is, you know, violence in the community, uh, someone being shot by the police, you know, some other, you know, sort of um, circumstance where someone is a victim and the story needs to be told, we don't want to rely solely on the media to sort of identify what's to be told. So we know that they have lots of power in how the story is told, but I think that if people understand what their power is and what the possibilities are for you know how they approach the stories, how they sort of present the messaging, how they continue to build the relationship and make sure that news is getting out, we will be able to at least elevate our stories in a way that best serves and represents our community. That's that's so powerful because I think one of the things that we we take for granted is how much the language that media uses impacts and influences our perceptions on what's happening in, in different communities, especially in underrepresented communities. And if the narrative is white dominated, white, cisgendered, able-bodied dominated, then you really don't get the perspective of, of other communities and, and what's happening over there. Um, you know, one of the questions uh, or one of the things we talked about early on um, in our in our kind of pre-podcast recording was around the importance of language specifically and like how language continues to create oppression and how we need to be more mindful of the words we're using. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so as a communications expert, I feel like language is really important and I'm, you know, sensitive to language and, and not getting it right all the time myself. So I want to say that. But the one thing that we do know, um, you know, through anthropology and, you know, the study of people is that language builds society and culture, right? Language is a pivotal component of that. And so by design, the language that we're using to identify uh, particular groups of people of its own creates a culture, of, on its own creates an understanding of how those people are represented. So I think it's time for us to rethink how we're using language, you know, particularly in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. So, you know, we use words like, you know, underrepresented or misrepresented. You know, why is that according to who, you know, um, vulnerable or marginalized, underserved, all of these words, you know, have we gotten to a place where uh, that language is outdated and reflects some of the systemic sort of, you know, racism or an oppression and sort of the, the archaic way of thinking about the humanity of people. Uh, and so wondering what the reframe can look like. So right now in our, you know, this moment in the sort of philanthropy space, there's a lot of conversations happening about, you know, how do we make sure that the people closest to the problem have an opportunity to be parts of the solutions? Like how are we making sure that their voices are represented and they get to sort of, you know, drive and dictate what's happening. Um, in that very same vein, we should be thinking about 
how are we thinking about the language? You know, so, you know, is it a, a, a beneficiary? Is it a grantee? Is it a partner? Like all of those things sort of play a role in the perception of the relationship and, you know, sort of contributes to the power dynamics. You know, I, I was uh, laughing to myself the other day. I was working with a client on a project about language and the language that they want to use as an organization and how they really want to be a leader in their space around how they're shifting to, you know, like a, some new guidelines about this. And I said, if we went through like every word that was used to um, support some of the work and how we're describing people and relationships and, uh, you know, milestones, et cetera, I was like, if we, we would almost have to remove everything and we'd just be walking around grunting at one another, right? There, we have not identified um, strong, positive language sort of, you know, uh, centered on equity where we are able to sort of carry on a conversation. So there's like a word here and a word there, but it's really time for us to sort of think about reframing and going back to identify what is the language that represents it? So I would imagine in history, there were times when people sort of, you know, took an opportunity to think through how they wanted to describe relationships and what language would be appropriate. I think we're overdue to have those conversations again and sort of, again, with equity at the center, thinking about what we want to establish and, and the power of doing this exercise and the importance of language. I love this, Vanessa. I really do. I, uh, as, as you know, like, so I'm the token blind guy on our amazing trio um, here with, with, with a lens towards people with disabilities. And, uh, you know, as, 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 as we all know, like what's the one in seven human beings on the planet are identify with a disability. Like, so we're not a small demographic <laughs> by, by any means. And yet the unemployment is higher than any other uh, marginalized community on the planet. And so I, you know, not waiting for uh, somebody smarter than me um, to start redefining how to get professionals with disabilities employed. Like I really focus, we have a, we have a real, um, effort on, you know, talking about the true assets that people with disabilities, professionals with disabilities bring to an organization. So start, you know, stop focusing on, you know, quote unquote, the liabilities and start focusing on, you know, I was a really good, am a really good engineer and it's because of my blindness, not despite my blindness. Mm -hmm. So changing that narrative, I think is, is absolutely um, uh, critical and, you know, waiting for, you know, uh, people way smarter than, than I am to come up with that language I don't have patience for that. I don't have time for that. I just know that I have assets that organizations are truly looking for. And I think if, yeah. uh, if there's enough of us that, you know, come up with that mind, you know, like, uh, you know, brown, black, uh, relationship orientation, gender, like, uh, like, let's, let's stop focusing on, you know, because when we start identifying those to me, like what we're doing is we're focusing on like these physical defining traits versus, you know, all of the other things that really, um, uh, can bring advantages to organizations. And so when we limit by defining people by skin color and, and gender and blah, 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 like to me, it's, it, it's, those are limiting versus empowering. Yes. Well, I guess like the other question I have, Vanessa, is kind of like, you know, I think this is a conversation that a lot of companies are having right now, right? They're trying to figure out how to have these conversations. And, you know, one of the things I always, I've been hearing a lot doing, you know, in the diversity space is that there's a fear that a lot of people have about using the quote unquote wrong language, 
Um, I mean, how do you suggest companies or organizations can go about approaching these conversations about language and what it means and, and, and how to navigate that? Well, the first thing I would suggest is they hire us, right? Like that's the, e that's the easy answer. They can hire us to come in and <laughs> yes. help to sort of uh, work through this process like some other companies are doing. But in the absence of our expertise, um, the first thing we uh, would ask or suggest is to really think about what the intentions of the organization are. So oftentimes what's happening is there's a lot of borrowing, you know, between like what other organizations are doing or what is the, the ecosystem or the sort of process look overall in the sector. Someone has to step up and sort of be the leader and say, based on who we are, the work that we're doing, this is what defines us. And this is the culture that we wanna create internally and externally. This is how we want to sort of shape relationships and perception and behavior. And so using sort of that as like the initial steps of the thinking about it, and then identifying the language that represents that. And so that could be a, a total revamping of, you know, all of the key language that your company or organization has used over X number of years. It could be sort of a phased approach. And some companies were looking or thinking about, okay, what are the sort of like immediately, you know, uh, you know, um, available words or language or phrases that are used that we know we want to sort of discard right away and find replacements for and then go deeper into this, but really thinking about what does the language get you? <clears throat> like, well, well, is this about power? Is it about partnership, collaboration, you know, co-conspirators? Like, what is it that you want from this language? And then digging down into each area of the organization. How is communication happening internally in the organization? Is there language that you've been using forever and, you know, nobody has sort of, you know, brought it up, but people know it has an undertone or, or an undercurrent that makes people uncomfortable. Is there, is it the way that you're sort of communicating externally um, on certain issues again, which may be the, uh, you know, the sector sort of, you know, regular, this is, a, this is how we all talk, but if it doesn't serve the organization and if it really does not sort of lend itself to anti-racist, you know, sort of principles, then it's time to sort of rethink about it. And so it really does, it is a process. Um, it sometimes is not so easy to find, you know, language that is like, okay, well, we can, you know, swap this word with this word. But going through that, I think that it strengthens an organization, it sort of clarifies the position. And it also helps to reimagine the future. And I can't tell you like how important that is for organizations that want to grow and move forward, um, and not just be sort of like, you know, taking those incremental steps but sort of thinking about like, what's the big thing that's going to push and accelerate our organization forward? This is a step toward doing that in ways that sort of can pay out, you know, tenfold. Amen. Yeah, I, you know, and I do want to acknowledge, I think, you know, what, what's overwhelming is, is the fact that it's, it's a lot of work, like it will be a lot of work. And you can't just take the average message from the marketplace like you said, and, and apply it to you. Everybody's different. Every company's different. And so it's, it is about spending a lot of time figuring out your DNA as an organization. And to, to what you said, the intention behind what we're trying to communicate. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, to me, there's a once in a lifetime opportunity 
opportunity here for a lot of organizations to kind of go back and get it right and, and really look at everything, every policy, every procedure, every SOW, every whatever to understand where a lot of these oppressive types of, of words and phrases and language pop up because <laughs> to your point, Vanessa, I think you're right. Like everybody, we would just be grunting at each other. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's through everything, right? Oh man. Yes. Uh, just one other point I want to make. Um, we are about to begin a project with the Institute of Public Relations um, about the language of social justice and sort of exploring some of the common terms that are, that are used and what sort of um, recommended or suggested replacements will be. We're not going to fully you know, begin that until early next year, but we'll certainly share with you all. Hopefully you, you all can have me back on the show once we finish that and I could share some of the you know, information from that that may be helpful to your audience. Ooh, that would be amazing. That would be so powerful. I think that's one of those things is that I think we have to all recognize that our, the way we use our language evolves over time. And I've, I've been looking at stuff I, I wrote two or three years ago and even how I use language back then to talk about the work you know I've been doing around social justice, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's changed, it's evolved because the world has changed and evolved, and how we talk about things has evolved. So um, I'm excited to see kind of what you you come up with, and I think it's gonna be great that we'll be able to share that with our audience. Thank you, thank you. So um, I would love to dive into, because we, we started kind of hitting on the philanthropy piece a little bit about what does philanthropy look like historically and where where's that mindset shift that, that needs to change and where we need to go. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, first I want to say that we there's a myth that philanthropy sort of um, was started with, you know, wealthy white people giving to people in need. And I do want to recognize and acknowledge that every culture has built into it some level of philanthropy. So when I think about, you know, um, Black, black families, you know, generations ago, my grandmother would tell stories about someone in need in the community maybe losing their job and you know they would you know put money together to help that person and support and i've heard similar stories in the latinx community um and you know others and uh, edgar villanueva's book he talks about you know decolonizing philanthropy and also about how people you know from his community took care of one another so i, I want to make sure that we uh, do not have a philanthropy conversation with, without acknowledging that philanthropy has been a shared experience across you know, different uh, cultures, but focusing on the, the challenges in sort of the, the big philanthropy as we know it as far as the you know, traditional institutional, it has been framed in you know, wealthy white people giving money to you know, poor people and sort of dictating or people in need and dictating where that money should go and how it should be spent um, without really understanding the, the culture in those communities and understanding the needs. And so dollars are often misdirected and sort of uh, band-aid solutions versus being able to solve the problems in a meaningful way because we haven't brought the right voices to the table. And just the mindset, again, you're talking about language 
language. Um, you know, there's been a lot of like, you know, charity and, you know, making a donation. Whereas if we were to even shift that one word charity to investment, what does that relationship look like? And what are we giving people agency to do now that there's an investment so that you're giving them more power and how the money is distributed? And so really being more thoughtful about the process of giving um, and the way we think about what people have access to and how it's used. So we need to like get rid of the term giving Tuesday and turn that into investing Tuesday, don't we? That yeah. post Tuesday Thanksgiving. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm down with that campaign. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Um, and speak, so to the idea of an investment, if I can sort of make my a segue here, one of the things that um, we're working on in an initiative called uh, Louder Than Words, which is focused on encouraging corporations to invest in nonprofit leaders of color. So we know the research shows that nonprofit leaders of color receive significantly less financial support and professional development support than their white counterparts. And so after seeing everyone post their, you know, black box on social media and say they, you know, that black lives matter and they're committed to racial and social justice, we were thinking of ways like how do we hold people accountable to that in a way that can really transform transform uh, some of the social, you know, so the movement and work on some of the social issues that are, you know, really urgent right now. And so as part of this Louder Than Words initiative, we're building uh, the first ever directory of uh, nonprofit leaders of color. And so if anyone's listening uh, who's the nonprofit leader of color or knows someone, please sign up um, for the directory, which you can find at the, the louder uh, the louderpledge.com. And what we're asking corporations to do is to consider an investment of 250 $50,000 or more and a multi-year investment um, of unrestricted dollars to nonprofit leaders. Like if you are really committed to social justice and racial justice, and you know that there is inequity and you want to be a part of creating equity, sort of funneling dollars here to sort of identify and support these organizations will go a long way. Well, that's I, that is amazing, Vanessa. What? So we we know the per, well. I mean, roughly the percentages of, uh, you know, the BIPOC, you know, leadership within the Fortune five hundred, Fortune ten thousand. What is what is the leadership percentages look like within the nonprofit space? So now here's the thing: we uh, we don't have that data. We're still building. Um, the resource and what we are thinking about is that this is likely going to turn into something uh, a more expanded, like a, a census as we're collecting data and learning about, you know, what organizations are where we, our vision has sort of up leveled in this process and, and sort of thought about what other information can we collect. And so when we started the process in the beginning, uh, we said, well, let's get this sort of initial data to have these conversations and make sure that corporations have enough to have an awareness of what organizations are in the communities that they serve. And then thinking about a broader, wider idea of like, we don't know how many organizations are led by people of color. We don't know where the biggest concentration is. We don't know which organizations are, you know, sort of receiving, you know, more support than others or like where the greatest challenges are. Is it education? Is it, you know, women's productive rights? What, what, where are, what, what, how do we slice and dice this data? And so what we're hoping is we, this is a sort of free initiative on our part, um, 
And so we are trying to dedicate as many resources as we can to building this, but really hoping that we'll get some foundation support to sort of build out the census part. Because what we see is that will also allow them to make other decisions or better decisions about how they're allocating their dollars. You know, like if they sort of are committing to racial and social justice, will data from the directory allow them to say, you know what, we're going to throw 30% of our 2021-2022 budget into such and such because we see that the need is greater in this part of the state or the region or whatever it is. And so I think that while we were looking at this from as a corporate resource initially, I, I think that it has like, it's a multi-use uh, sort of directory that will really help to elevate the incredible, brilliant nonprofit leadership of color that exists. Um, but often because they may be smaller organizations are flying under the radar. And so like, how do we create a platform for those organizations to get you know the, the money and funds that they need and support that they need so that they can do the work? And this is, uh, to me, the other part of this is also about Let's sort of like position people to solve the problem, not to continue to sort of like, okay, we're providing these services. How do we solve these problems? And then we can get to other problems, right? How do we sort of put organizations out of you know business because they've successfully fulfilled the mission? Like that, that to me is like the the the, the dream moment. <laughs> And the mic drop of the uh, of the show. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, I um, yeah. I mean, I think. Oh man, we hit on so many things. I, I just I love the I love what you know, sort of the the plan, quote unquote, that you laid out for organizations to focus on language again. Yeah, language is huge, and and it it it, it really you know flows through everything that you're doing and it and i just i love the focus there and and all the the different um you know things you're working on just you know have, will have such a huge impact um on on next year you know and where we're going and so thank you for sharing all of that and um yeah i mean what are you looking forward to in 21 2021 <sighs> well hopefully uh being uh, able to socialize and being in the company of, of people again and you know in a close proximity that that's the thing I'm, I'm most looking forward to um, but besides that is I, I, I am seeing a lot of movement in organizations and to be totally transparent a lot of um, sort of commitment to transformation and people sort of you know seeing their blind spots or um, the places where they haven't showed up um, in a way to sort of advance you know DEI in organizations or um, a lack of communicating to audiences and so I think that what I'm looking forward to is partnering with organizations that are really looking to uh, rethink their ecosystem and how they can do this work in a way that, you know, as I said earlier, is focused on equity. I think that's really important. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, having corporations, you know, running to support uh, some of our nonprofits in the directory next year. That's, that's really important. And for me, I'm really thinking about uh, the ways that we can shift language and, and wanting to sort of map out like what that looks like for more power for the sector. And so I, one of the things I spend a lot of time thinking about is the interdependence between like government and corporations and nonprofits and understanding that nonprofits are sort of 
taking on the, you know, the, the majority of the responsibility on social issues. Like what happens if we are able to, you know, bring in other resources, if corporations show up in a different way and if government sort of has, you know, a different level of responsibility, like what, what can happen? Like how does, how do we sort of put nonprofits in a position of power instead of being like the supplicant and just being, you know, sort of allowed to do the work, you know, you know, work for your supper, dance for your supper. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like ideally some changes in just the way this, the sector is seen and how I can be a part of that. My agency can be a part of that. Um, and just a growth for the agency. We have some really exciting things happening. We're about to, um, in 2021, we're launching our innovation lab where companies can come to us to sort of, um, you know, work through some agile methodology processes to identify like strategies for different solutions around communications and other things. So lots of exciting stuff on our end. That's awesome. I'm, uh, you make me very hopeful for 2021. So <laughs> uh, this is a great way to end our conversation. Vanessa, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you for having me. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank and you, Vanessa. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to you being Mike. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode, everyone. Take care.